Hey, y'all, this is Jim Gallagher Jr., and this is the Only One Shot Golf Podcast. And uh, looking forward to uh, another great guest this week. We always love to ask our guests and tell us about their journey. And what amazes me is just how different their paths are. And today we have Doug Martin, former All-American golfer at the University of Oklahoma, or Oklahoma U., and um, PJ Tour player, and now the head coach at the University of Cincinnati. The Bearcats uh, now in his 14th season at the helm. And I can't wait for everybody to get to know Doug a little bit better. He's a good friend, and his golf team is really rocking this year. Uh, ranked uh, 25th in the country uh, with a bunch of wins this year. He's really got the program going in the right direction. I got to spend a little bit of time with him uh, uh, when I was doing the LPGA event back uh, this summer and just a great guy and uh, a great story and i can't wait uh, for everybody just to get to to hear from doug and get to know doug a little bit better well i promise you doug martin and i've got him doug you've got to be tired just getting back from colleton river but thanks for joining us today oh really excited uh you know for, for you to have me on your podcast uh it's great and I've, I've listened to a number of your podcasts and you do you do a great job and not only that but on the golf channel as well well, thank you. I know you're proud of your uh, Bearcats. They've been playing some great golf. Maybe not had the week they wanted this last week, but uh, past nine years, your team's had 33 top five finishes. You won five tournaments. You've been on a run uh, since the fall. You won the opening event uh, of the spring, three wins this year. Just tell us how proud you are and how hard they've worked to get to this point. Well, you know, proud, obviously. Um, I'm really excited for, for the players on the team. You know, anytime in a team atmosphere, whether it be Walker Cup, Ryder Cup, Curtis Cup, whatever it is, you know, with golf being such an individual sport, we don't get the opportunity to celebrate team success. And I think that's one of the things with college golf that I truly love is when you do have success, you have it as a group, and you can learn to celebrate each other's success, not just celebrating your own personal success. But, you know, these guys have worked so hard. We've had you know, a tremendous off season with, with the ability to spend a lot of time in Florida. Um, all of our players are online this semester at school. So we really don't have to spend a lot of time in Cincinnati unless, you know, we, we want to. So we've been able to get out, really have great preparation. And it really showed, I think in our first event at Dorado beach, how prepared we were to start the spring semester. Well, you mentioned something that I've always been interested in, and we both have played at that level, individual. And to be great individually, you have to be a, a, very selfish, obviously. Uh, but you mentioned the team's aspect. How do you get these guys to buy in when they've played their whole lives as individuals to buy into the team concept? Well, I think one of the things, you know, when I look back on my days playing collegiate golf at the University of Oklahoma – we had great teams Mm -hmm. and those great teams. When I got to school, I came out of came out of junior golf as a number one ranked junior and and went to a program really that was on the, on the rise. And I got in there and there was Todd Hamilton and Grant Wade and Jimmy Begwin. Well, those guys beat my brains in Mm. when I first got there. And as a player, you have to make the choice. Well, do I want to get, better or do I just want to let these guys keep beating me and I think that's one of the things that I emphasize in our program to all of the players is you have to learn from your fellow teammates Mm -hmm. so right there you're already a team because you're learning from other players it's just like you and I when we were on the PGA Tour we had to learn from other players that we played with and how they did things 
so we could develop our own personal games. And I think in this team environment, we have one senior currently who is a great example and role model for our young players on how he prepares. You know, he never leaves a stone unturned in preparing for a golf tournament. And when you have that's your that's the picture of your program, it's pretty hard for these young kids to not follow. So our work ethic amongst the group, how they in, engage with each other and ask questions uh, really is amazing. And then, you know, having me as a resource from my playing days and my experience, you know, we've got a pretty good setup for players that want to learn and want to be coached. Now, you answered the question, how do you tell a freshman that's sitting at home that, you know, hang in there, and you pretty much answered that. You watch the other players, you learn from those guys at Veterans. But you mentioned number one junior, number one amateur. And a lot of parents and a lot of kids that listen to my uh, podcast like to know about the recruiting process. What was yours like, and what advice do you have for those kids that are going through that maybe right now? Well, I think as you're, as, you know, my, my recruiting process, and, and again, recruiting has changed completely since I went through it back in the eighties and, and probably the same, same for you. And I was fortunate to really kind of have my choice and I chose Oklahoma over Oklahoma state, um, Texas, Ohio state, um, various schools. And it really was when I went to Oklahoma, Oklahoma was young up and coming program. Really. Andrew McGee was the first real great player to come from there. Greg Turner, who was a foreigner, couple other guys that had great, great careers. But if I went to a Texas, Ohio State, some other place like that, I was just going to be another name on the wall. Mm. And even if I had a tremendous career, and I really wanted to be part of building something at the University of Oklahoma, and you know, for us to be the first team to win a national championship in 1989, you know, I'm kind of, my name is kind of forever entrenched with that program, just because I was part of the first team to do it. And that, that really was a pretty simple decision for me as far as where I wanted to go, because I didn't want to just be another guy at, at a school with, and, and not taking anything away from the Texases, the Oklahoma States, the players that have played at those places. It just, I wanted something different. And then as far as, you know, recruiting, you know, with, with young players, you know, when we when we go on the road and look at <clears throat> players, we, we look at a lot of different things. And, you know, certainly score is an important factor, but we also look at how are they shooting the score they're shooting. Mm. You know, you may have a kid that's stuck at shooting 72 to 74, and he's not very far from that being 69 or 70 on a regular basis. He just needs maybe some course management, you know, some <clears throat> attitude, not necessarily attitude, but just his ability to navigate around and hit quality shots. So we, we look at a lot, we look at a lot of different things. We're really starting to pay close attention to kids that have played multiple sports. I love it. Uh, we're really looking, <clears throat> we're looking for athletes. We're looking for people with, with where the game is going now with the speed and the athleticism of all these young players on the PGA tour and in college golf. We are really, really looking at, af- at athletes that can really generate speed. But, you know, we also watch how they conduct themselves on the golf course. You know, do they, do they have a good, good demeanor? We also watch how they interact with their parents post and pre round. There's a lot of things that go into, because we're, we we want 
high quality kids in our program that want to come here and learn and be coached. That's a great, uh, you know what, that's, that pretty much hit almost the entire questions I had in that uh, department. Cause that's what I hear from coaches. How do they treat their parents? How do they act afterwards? I had issues myself with getting angry and all that. And, and I learned from that. I, I kind of grew out of that as well. Uh, but you mentioned multi-sports. What benefits do those sports play? Obviously, there's the team aspect, but what benefits do those other sports play? Because everybody's so concerned with, oh, i got to specialize. What, what are the benefits of the other sports? Toughness. Mm. Just strictly toughness. You know, we have, we have a basketball – we have an all-state basketball player. We have a kid that played quarterback and catcher. We have a kid that played high-level – soccer we have a kid that played high level baseball and to me in golf there is no defense you have you have no defense Mm -hmm. when you're playing other sports you can be a good basketball player but the guy that's guarding you is better and so you have to have a level of toughness to hang in there or just you know the same thing with you know all sports whenever there's a defense sometimes the defense is just better than your offense. And, you know, I think the the mental toughness and the competitive, the competitive nature, you know, I played multiple sports growing up and, you know, to this day, I'm still very competitive and and I want to compete. And that didn't come from golf. That came from playing other sports. And that to me is the, the, the toughness word. You can talk about it and preach it, but, unless a kid has experienced it where he has to dig in deep and that, that's just toughness is something that I preach in our program. And it's really easy to preach when you've got people that have played other sports. Is that what helped you when you got to OU? Cause it's no, Hey, the wind blows, uh, it blows and oh, it, it, it blows and it keeps blowing and it's cold. Is that what you tell you? Well, is that it, what you it, look for? It was one of those deals where when I first got there and I played like the first week to 10 days, and I was watching Hamilton and Wake and some other guys hit these shots in the wind. And I'm like, I don't have that. Mm. And how do I learn this? And how do I understand how to navigate the wind, how to hold the ball into the wind, how to flight the ball under the wind? And that's something that, you know, I've really used in my coaching since I've been coaching is, I don't ask a kid to a back left hole location to draw it or a back right to fade it. I ask them to hit their stock shot most of the time. Mm -hmm. But when we're playing in heavy winds, I want them to hold the wind to get the ball to drop straight. And I want them to learn to flight the ball into the wind. We talk about when you're playing into the wind, the number on the bottom of the club means nothing. You've got to hit the ball in the right trajectory to match the wind. And so that definitely was – it really advanced me as a player going to Oklahoma and playing in the wind. So you think it's more on shot making than worrying about keeping your swing uh, necessarily – because you can lose a little bit of the tempo in there as well. Because uh, no, I no, thought no, it early No question. On. And that's what, no, I see, no question. that's what I see now. And equipment's changed, and, and you're younger than I am, but equipment's changed so much. We weren't able to flight the ball. Uh, maybe it's just because no. we didn't know how to do it as well as they do now with all the different technology and, and teaching out there, but we didn't flight the ball as well. Sometimes the wind just, I fought it. I struggled. Yeah, no, the, the, the wind was, you know, and obviously, you know, playing the ballada golf ball, which, you know, probably only half your listeners here understand what a ballada golf ball is, but it was hard to make, make a, 
make a ballada ball really stay down. And so, um, you know, I learned to flight the ball at Oklahoma by, okay, if you're, if you've got 150 yards, you've got a 20 mile an hour wind, you hit a eight iron 150, we'll just go up three clubs. And that's how we did it. Yeah. That's how our, that's how our coach taught us to, okay, just go up three clubs where you have to hit it soft to where it can't bend and chase up in the wind. You know, you've got all the different technologies, the SAMs, the, the launch monitors. How have you taught yourself, and you may have already known that, how have you you've taken this, all this advancement in knowledge? Because the, the kids are growing up with this. They're not scared of it. They use it. How much was it difficult for you to make that transition early on, or did you pick it up pretty simple? I, I've picked it up pretty simple. And, you know, we use, we use all the technology, and, you know, we use TrackMan – you know, almost daily at practice. And really what we use TrackMan for in, in our program is not really the path of face and all these other deals. We're looking at using it as, you know, yardage control, distance control. And so we'll, we'll do, we'll try to get at least every kid in three or four days a week for, for some type of a yardage tracking. And okay. so we might say, okay, today we're doing short irons and we will hit 60, 56, 52 in pitch. We'll hit your baseline numbers. And so we'll hit seven shots with each of those clubs, baseline numbers. And then I have a note card and I write down all those numbers. So we track those numbers. Then we go, okay, what's your in-between number between 60 and 56? What's your in-between number between 56 and 52? So you're basically hitting a 56-shot combine, getting getting your numbers dialed in. And so we'll do that. We'll do that all the way through the bag. And so that's just something that, you know, I was a good iron player on tour. I was a good iron player because of how my dad taught me to understand the importance of hitting the ball the right distance. You know, whatever that distance might be, hit it the correct distance all the time. And that's something that we really focus in on our program is hitting shots the right distance. I think amateurs struggle. They don't. They see that their ball hits and rolls twenty feet. They don't know how far it carries. They don't know how far each club goes. And I think that's. I love the fact that you're using that and you're not getting caught up because I was not very technical. I was very feel oriented and I wanted to keep it as simple as I could. That's just kind of how I thought. I'd make it the right way or the wrong way. But to use the combine, I think I would have done that. I would have practiced. If I'd had the facilities and that equipment, I might have done it more. Uh, and I think that's it's helped these guys because everybody uses analytics. It's not just in golf. It's in every sport. It's unbelievable. I had a baseball pitcher, Kendall Graveman, that pitches for the White Sox, talked about using launch monitors, basically, and stuff, even for baseball pitching. It's just it's crazy the, where we would make the advancements. And you mentioned your dad. I mean, was he the, the guy that taught you? And, and who were your early influences early on when you were playing? Um, you know, I'd like to make one more comment about yeah, Crackman, too, yeah, that sure. I think is really helping helping a lot of these players is, you know, when we play golf on the PGA Tour, we're we're basically changing – conditions almost on a weekly basis from True. humidity to, and then to have that track man and to be able to set that track man to whatever elevation whatever temperature you want these guys are getting dialed in every week and so i think that's something that is really 
I would have loved to had that when I was playing on tour to where I could track my numbers every single week. You know, when we used to play out at Castle Pines, mm-hmm. that was, that was like a new world that you went into when you went out there and played. But, you know, back to the question about, you know, my father, my father really got me started in the game. Uh, he was, he was a multi-sport player collegiately, a uh, really good athlete, loved, learned the game of golf in, in college, really wanted, you know, started me really just to have someone to play golf with. And, you know, we developed a relationship over the course of time. You know, not only was he my golf coach, he was also my basketball coach in high school. And so, you know, really to, you know, have a coach coach you really was great. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, I, I praise my father about was when I was growing up playing junior golf, he was hard on me in the correct way of my work ethic, my discipline, being prepared for tournaments. He never really told me one way or the other, hey, you played great. Hey, you did. You know, when I won the U.S. Junior, I remember it vividly. He just said, you know, congrats on a great week. It wasn't, there was never, he always allowed me to evaluate myself as a player. Hmm. And he never was. The only time he ever got after me was when my conduct was inappropriate and which what more could you ask for from a father who, you know, really just allowed me to, you know, become the player I wanted to become because he knew, you know, that was something that was important to me and I didn't need, you know, someone beat me down or this, that, and the other. And he, he did a great job of that and did the same thing for me in basketball, you know, it was a great you know, I remember a couple of games in basketball where, you know, I was having career nights and we, you know, we played on, I played on great teams for him. And I remember one that I'd scored 25 or 27 through three quarters and hit my first two shots in the fourth quarter. And I see the, my sub coming over for me and I come out and I said, <laughs> what are you doing? He goes, you've scored enough tonight. <laughs> like, I'm like, there you go. Yeah, you, can't, you, check, go. you can't check yourself back in. <laughs> No, I can't check myself back in, but no, he, uh, he was a great, great mentor. You know, he still follows our program really close. He was actually out this past week at Colleton river and got to spend some time with him and, you know, just, uh, you know, truly, uh, truly has been an inspiration to a lot of young, young kids, uh, through his high school basketball program when he was coaching. I think you, you mentioned it cause he was able to separate dad and coach because sometimes I know with my dad t- teaching Jeff and Jackie and I, uh, being the instructor, it was all, is he getting on to me about me as his son or is he getting on to me about, or is he, you know, I, it was always a tricky thing. He had, he didn't have a pr- trouble with it. I sometimes maybe struggled with that, uh, but they had the right, they had the right mentality. They they wanted you, like, I think the best thing he said, he kept you in line when your behavior got out. Everything else was, yeah. was there. He wanted you to keep working no, and, and all that. And one of my favorite one of my favorite stories about him when I was playing basketball for him, so we played fall golf in, in Ohio, and so after the high school golf season, I had to take my visits to decide where I wanted to go play college golf. Well, we were the number two ranked basketball team in the state of Ohio, and I missed, like, four practices and two scrimmages. And I was the starting point guard for my sophomore and junior year. I I went scouting with him, watched all the games. I knew the teams we played as good or better than he did just because 
I, I watched. And so <clears throat> I take all these visits and miss these practices and stuff. He calls me in his office like three or four days before the first game, and he goes, you know, I can't justifiably start you the first seven games. And I was like, what, what do you mean I'm your starting point guard? And he goes, you, you've missed great scrimmages and practices. And, boy, that was really hard kill for me to swallow. Mm. And as I look back on it, it taught me so much. At the time, I didn't see the logic in it. But and, and the reason it was seven games is we played seven games before Christmas break, and then we basically started the second you know, two-thirds of our season. And so um, it was an unbelievable lesson, a lesson that I'm very grateful for and thankful for now. But at the time, you know, when you talk about building toughness, that built tremendous toughness in me to understand that, you know what, there were other guys that practice working their ass off. Yeah. And I wasn't there. And he had to reward those guys that were working hard. And that's just, that's just the type of coach that he was. You know, it might be an OU thing, but it was a very similar story with Ryan Hibble, who's now the current coach at OU, yep, uh, yep. played at Georgia. He was, I think he's like you, the number one junior ranked player, made a junior yep. Ryder Cup team, started on both sides of the ball in football. Dad was the coach. He skipped the junior Ryder Cup. He said, Jim, I mean, I was going to let down everybody on my team. And I was like, Wow. That's what make you. That's what makes you two guys such great coaches, right there. That, that kind of situation where you understand the team concept. It was a little tougher lesson, maybe for you, but I, I, I was amazed when he. I heard that story, and that right there just brought back that story. And he's in one of my previous podcasts, so uh, it was. It must. It's amazing to be able to do that. It was. It was a lesson, a hard lesson learned. You understood the the concept. There are other people, uh, and consequences for. And we always say that you know the, the the decisions you make today will could affect future you know, things and opportunities in life. And I think that was one of those lessons. And he understood the team concept. They put the time in and you hadn't. No so. doubt. Uh, and that was a help. tough lesson. No I, I guarantee you that was a tough one to. Oh, it was brutal. It was brutal. You know, we, we, we uh, were bouncing around a little bit, but I love that because it's conversational. You mentioned uh, different conditions. And I've noticed now, because you all have the 50, you have to win 50%. What goes yep. into scheduling uh, as far as going, like you said, you went to South Carolina, you've been to Puerto Rico, you go out west. A lot of coaches now, because the regionals are everywhere, make up their schedules to get used to different grasses, different conditions. Uh, are you using that when you make your schedule for your team? Well, when I start and, and I look at the schedule, I, I really, number one, my objective for all of my players is if they want to play professional golf when they leave here, I want to be – I want to have prepared them and that's playing in all different types of grasses, weather, you know, all different environments. That's, that's the first thing. The second thing is I want to play in good fields every week. Mm. I want my players to see other great players and I want to see them playing with them having the opportunity to play with the best teams, the best players, because they're still in a learning phase. And, you know, I tell the story to the guys all the time, I retired from playing professional golf at 34 and at age 34, I was still learning. Mm. The minute I stopped learning is the minute people were going to race past me. And that's something, you know, even as a coach today, I still try to pride myself in continuing to learn and understand. And so I talk to my players all the time about when you have a chance to play with a top player in the country, don't take notes while you're playing, but look back and reflect on the round and say, hey, what did this guy do differently than I did? Or maybe, wow, 
I'm, I do a lot of the same things he does. How is he a first team all American and I'm honorable mention, Mm. you know, those are the things and, you know, I'm constantly on learning and observing others. Well, you mentioned that. Okay. That gets to the question and you've played against the best. You've coached the best you've coached against the best. What separates that elite athlete or elite golfer from the rest? To me, it's to me, it's intangibles. I mean, you you know this from walking up and down the range on the PGA Tour. I walk up and down, and I watch other kids hit balls and, and practice when we're at tournaments. And to me, there's just there's just intangibles. Mm-hmm. You know, we we have a we have a motto this semester to number one, play with confidence. Number two, to believe in yourself, and number three, to trust your teammates. And and all those things, those none of those are physical. All those are mental. And, and when I look at the great players that I played with throughout my career, the one common theme is when playing with Ben Crenshaw, did you ever play with Ben Crenshaw and think to yourself, he wasn't going to putt well? No. <laughs> no. No. Yeah, exactly. Never. You know, when you played with your great friend Bruce Litsky, did you ever think that his ball was not going to move left to right? Nope. He's I mean, always going to do it. There, was always going left to right, and he he was the greatest greatest at it, and you weren't far behind. But when you look at when you look at that those little intangibles, when I see great players and I see them separate, it's they're just a little bit better putter, they're just a little bit better chipper, they're just a little bit better driver. It's all these little intangibles, and it's like, well, why are they a better driver? Maybe they pick better target lines. Maybe they have better control of their shape. Maybe they chip better because they use different trajectories. They don't just use a 60-degree or a 58-degree wedge and open up and use the bounce. So, so to me, it's, it's the little things, but when it gets right down to it, it's that self-belief and trust that you have in yourself. It also gets back to toughness and that inner yep, drive absolutely. to beat your brains out. And that, I mean, yep. <laughs> That's the truth. I played against Bruce at Colonial. And we're best friends, and we're coming down those last four or five holes, but he was trying to whoop my fanny, and he did. Yep. Uh, and I didn't let him not win. I mean, I was trying to win too. Uh, and, and, yep. and, and I know it probably wasn't easy because he, you know, he was kind of my mentor. But, hey, he was trying to beat me as much as I was trying to. People always ask, well, what happened if your brother, Jeff, and you were in the final group uh, to win going down that final hole? I said, he better make birdie. And I don't mean <laughs> right. it in a cocky way. It's just like I'm, no. I'm trying to. He's fact. trying to beat me, and I'm trying to beat him. I mean, that's that's a fact. That is a fact. So, tell us about your pro career. Like you said, you retired early. I had some injuries. Is there, you know, when you look back at it, uh, what are some of the things you're proud of, and what you accomplished there uh, on the PGA Tour, and some of those experiences? Well, I, I think you know, number one, it's so difficult to get there. That yeah. that's the first thing. The the second thing is. The experience, the experiences I had, I, I never won. I lost in a playoff to VJ Singh at Westchester. Mm. The, the thing when I look back, and, and again, this is my dad, you know, planting seeds in my head. He goes, it's not going to be the tournaments you won or the tournaments you played in as much as you remember, but it'll be the people that you met along the way. Mm. And, and I look back and think, man, the people that, number one, I had an opportunity to play with that I – idolized and looked up to when I was growing up the places that we traveled and played and you go to a a new course each week and that's the best condition that course is going to be in that week for the entire year you know all of the volunteers 
everything that went into making a PGA tour event go were the things that I look back and reflect on and think, man, I was really lucky to have this experience. And, you know, those days, those days were days that I cherish. I, I miss terribly competing, but I probably wouldn't trade any of it for what I'm doing now because I really love coaching. I really love the kids on my team and I really love investing time and energy to help them reach their goals. Yeah, you're impacting people's lives. Uh, I think that's exactly – you mentioned Ben Crenshaw. Who were other guys that you mentioned, people you idolized? Who were other guys you got paired with? And You know, you know, obviously I, pl- I, played, I played some with you, and I always just enjoyed, you know, the speed and, and how you played with, you know, an up-tempo game. You weren't one of those guys that analyzed it and overthought. You just really stepped up. You knew what you were going to do and hit it. Freddie Couples, Davis Love – Ernie Els, kind of all those guys that I that I played with and idolized, playing with Jack Nicklaus, playing yeah. with Arnold Palmer, all of those all of those things to me just a, a, a kid from a small town who would have ever thought that that that's what you would be doing and have the opportunity to do that. So you, you mentioned Ohio. You know, How about playing with Jack Nicklaus? Yeah. Tell us that the first time where you just I, I almost I couldn't even breathe. I just. I just couldn't, I really couldn't, I really didn't even know what to say. You know, I just, um, it was actually really kind of a casual type deal. I was playing with a friend at Muirfield and we were both friends with his son, Gary. Mm-hmm. And Jack just happened to be at Muirfield at that time. And we just first went out and played, you know, a casual nine, casual nine holes. I had just recently won the U S junior qualifier that was at Muirfield. And so, you know, he was, he was aware of me. And so that was, that was kind of cool, but just, you know, just looking at him and how he handled his business and how he went about things. And, you know, just, uh, there was just, there was just a lot there to learn, but I do, I do have a, a great Nicholas story from recruiting. So when I was being recruited by Ohio state, he called, he called my house to, to talk to me. <clears throat> well, I happened to be at basketball practice and, you know, this was when we actually had phones on the wall or phones on the desk. Not, not Kids don't hands. believe that. Ex- that <laughs> they don't believe that. And it was a rotary phone. It's a rotary <laughs> phone. <at that. clears throat> and so, so he calls the house. My sister answers the phone and she goes, hello, Martins. And she goes, yeah, this is Jack Nicholas calling. I'm looking for Doug. And my sister's like, yeah, right. And I'm Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> and he was like, "No, this is this is Jack Nicholas." And and my sister was like, "Well, he's at basketball practice. You have to call back at you know this time or whatever." And so, called back, and and uh, we actually relived the story when when I got out on tour and, and and had a chance to speak with him and get to know him even better. But what a what a what a great story! Oh, he he had to laugh at that <laughs> Santa Claus. Yeah, absolutely, that's awesome. Yeah. That's so awesome. Yeah. You mentioned relationships yeah. and people you met. You were friends with Lou Holtz, and I mean, gosh, talk about a motivator and a great coach. Uh, what did you learn from him that maybe helped you with your coaching now? Well, I think you know number number one. Um, you know, I was very blessed to be in situations with coach Holtz from being in the locker room to team meetings and stuff like that. And, you know, the, the number of things that I, I picked up from, from him and I'll just give you 
you know, one, you know, I went to, you know, 30 or 40 Notre Dame games and was in the locker room before the game, after the game, on the sidelines, just, you know, ro- royal treatment. But the one thing that I do remember vividly is um, his first year at South Carolina, he went there and took over a program that was a mess. And I think his first year, he didn't win a game. So he comes back the second year. And, and this was my, I think this was my first year out of playing when I retired with a back injury. And I went to seven of their games and five of them were home. Five of them were home. And Gip, his son has been one of my best friends for probably the last 30 years, but Mm -hmm. I would always go and stay with Skip. And I remember Gip telling me that his dad was going to start something in the second year. He was going to have three or four kids get up and talk Thursday for five minutes before they went on the practice field. And really what they talked about was just their life and, and how they grew up and the, the difficulties that they had. And, and to hear these two or three kids, and I got to sit through five of those, and I damn nearly walked out of the room in tears, you know, yeah. every meeting because these kids were talking about the struggles that they had growing up, whether they, you know, came from a low-income family. and But, but the stories were incredible. And what I watched was that team come together as one. And I think they ended up going eight and four, nine and three. They ended up beating Ohio state in the Outback bowl. But just to see that, that come through just because number one, the players never took the time to get to know each other. True. And those little five minute deals that those kids got up and talked about really was an extremely powerful situation. And it also, at that particular time, I was going through like, man, I'm 34 years old. I'm coming into my prime on the PGA Tour. I have a, a back injury that really takes me out of the game. Whoa, me, man. And I'm like sitting through these. I'm like, listen, I have no problems. Yeah. And it really woke me up to realize, how about you look at this and be blessed that you just had eight or nine years playing golf on the PGA Tour instead of looking at this like, Whoa, me, blah, blah. And it really was a great message for me and really taught me a lot about myself. And so, you know, how we kind of use that as our team is we, we very, we're very close as a group in our program. And, and I teach our guy, I really talk to our guys, get to know the other guys on the team, not just as this teammate, but get to know this person and where they've come from, what they're doing about their family. And so, that's a, it's a big part of our deal, and I think that's the one thing Coach Holtz, Coach Holtz really taught me is, is family and, but, and trusting and loving each other. You said that the third part of what your your your, your goals or your your words of wisdom for this season it was trust your teammates, and that's right there at number yep. three. So that's no yep. what a great story. I, I remember Sissy's uh, my wife Sissy's mom was dying with cancer, and I remember the same thing. I'd lost my card. I'm playing a mini tour event, Deerfield Country Club, Madison, Mississippi, trying to hope I get paid and feeling sorry for myself. And here's this lady who had been fighting ovarian cancer, and I sat there and go, wow. <laughs> Wake yep. up, smell the yep. roses, because you're, you're yep. missing the point. So good Lord puts that on us sometimes and wakes us up, and it obviously was a, a wake-up for both of us. And what a great learning experience for both of us. It, it, and it did. It impacted both. Uh, it sounds like it impacted you as well. So that's uh, yes. that was a great, great story. But you were so kind with Tom Abbott and I were doing the LPGA event. We got to play Coldstream uh, when we were covering that event in Cincinnati. What a treat. Tell us about where you guys get to play, a little bit about your facilities, and if you get to ch- play that golf course, folks, it's unbelievably good. 
yeah, we, we are blessed. We are blessed with, with Coldstream being our home course in Cincinnati. And, you know, truly, I, you know, I, I look at it and, and, and saying if it had, you know, maybe a couple hundred more yards to get to 7,500, it would be an unbelievable course on the PGA Tour. I still think even at 7,300, it would be a great test for, for the players. But I just think it requires, you know, so many high-quality approach shots into the greens with the way the greens are bunkered. Um, great driving course. It, it's just it's it's a blessing for us to have that as a home facility. But we're in the process right now of doing an indoor facility about two miles from campus with four uh, trackman simulators, about 3,000-square-foot putting, a nutrition room, meeting team meeting rooms, and everything. So that's that's going to be a big addition to our program. That's going to be done June 1st. That helps big time. Uh, the Northern schools, you look at the uh... – Coach Small's done at Illinois, and uh, that's how you. And you mentioned yep. y'all were able to get out and, and go down to Florida, and you play outside. You're prepared. Where a lot of teams, I know my brother went to Ball State. They weren't able to do that years and years ago, but you're able to do that. But team got ranked up to 25th. It did drop a little bit uh, with this last finish, but I'm sure you're going to jump back up there. But when you look back, and I always like to ask these coaches. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me. How do you want your players to describe you? as a coach, how would you want them to describe you personally? How would you want them to say, Hey, this is my coach here. here. If he's that, re- if someone was being recruited, how would you want them to describe yeah. you? I, I, I think number one, that I always have their best interest. Okay. And, you know, sometimes kids today don't want to hear the truth and they don't want to hear what they really need to be told. Rather that's about swing mechanics. It's about their time management. It's about, you know, their, their conduct on and off the golf course that, that I want, I want kids to know I, I have their, their back. I also want them to know I, I love them like they're one of my own. And that's, that's a word that's thrown around a lot in our, in our program is, is love. And mm-hmm. we have to love, we have to love one another. And, you know, at days in, we're out there playing for each other. And so, you know, that's one thing that's been a big part of our program is, our, our team, our team unity, our team camaraderie, is is very high. Even even the guys that aren't always traveling, they're 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 very up in spirits, and you know they know that their time is coming. It's just be ready when your time is coming. But you know more than anything, I just I just want my players to understand how much I care for them and how much I, I really want the best for them. Not only while they're here at school, but in their future. Well, that's well said because I think when we look at instructors or coaches, sometimes kids just want to hear what they want to hear, not what they need to hear. And a great instructor, a great coach is telling, like you said, tells them the truth. Butch Harmon does that. Hey, here's the facts. And sometimes you need to hear what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. And I think that's a great way yep. of separating. But what's up next for the Bearcats? Where are y'all playing next? And the rest. So of we're time? we're um, we just finished up here in Colleton River. Um, we are staying on the road because we go straight from here to sea island so we're going to practice a couple days here at berkeley hall in um in bluffton south carolina then we're going to travel on friday over to sea island and practice for uh two days over at sea island before we start next monday in the sea island intercollegiate you guys are busy uh well i appreciate you being with us uh it, I'm, it's gonna be fun i'm gonna see you at the ncaa's i have a feeling y'all gonna make it to greyhawk yep. i really do i think y'all have mm-hmm. a really good shot at it uh sounds like if a young team's learning quickly from you 
uh, as I like to say, if uh, whether life or golf, you may have only one shot. You got to take advantage of it, and you got to make it count. And you have in all these guys' lives. Dougie, it was great catching up. I love the stories, hey. and I appreciate you being with me today. Well, thank you, Jim. Thanks for having me on, and uh, I, I think back to, to our days on tour together, and you know, blessed, and what a great family, and great family you've raised and all the girls and boys just just you've done a hell of a job well thanks you too love it love you yep. and uh, appreciate right. you being with us all right thanks just how good was that 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 was awesome to have doug barton on there did a great job what what great advice i mean play with confidence believe in yourself trust your teammates great advice that's their theme and their motto for this year bearcats are a team up on the uh, up and rising in the ranks. Watch out for them to make a run. Maybe get the Greyhawk for the NCAA's. He's done an incredible job. And if you if you heard, if you're wanting to have a good quality coach and you want to learn something, Doug Barton's the guy. Cincinnati can make it happen. So appreciate him being with us. Appreciate y'all listening to us. Uh, and I appreciate Steve Azar for allowing us to use his music. You can find Steve at steveazar.com. And don't forget to get only one shot. That's by VJ Trollio. Still available at Amazon. Until next time, I'm Jim Gallagher, Jr., and we'll talk to you then. What were you thinking on that play? Take a lap, and when you come back, maybe you'll do things my way. Let me tell you why. Don't let things slide. You can live through me. You can get through life. Around here, what I say that